Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf, a salute to women in the turf industry and their allies. My name is Rick Wolfel. Earlier this year, 29 women, all volunteers, traveled to the Olympic Club to assist host superintendent Troy Flanagan and his team with the staging of the 76th United States Women's Open Championship. Jill Seymour was one of those volunteers. Seymour is the superintendent at the Charleston Springs Golf Course in Monmouth County, New Jersey, a county-owned facility located roughly midway between Philadelphia and New York City. Like so many of her peers, Seymour, who was a Penn State graduate, took a roundabout route to her career in turf. Over the course of the next few minutes, she'll share her story and talk about what it was like to be part of the grandest event in women's golf. We're proud to have Jill Seymour with us on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Jill, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. We know your schedule is quite busy as we are now in the peak of the golf season, and we appreciate you taking time to join us for a few minutes. Absolutely, no problem. Thanks for having me. Before we get into your experience at the United States Women's Open Championship, We'll talk about how you got into the turf industry. And like so many of your professional peers, male and female, it was something of an indirect route uh, from enrolling in college to ending up in the program at Penn State to here at Charleston Springs. So we'll have you uh, recap that for our listeners for a minute. Okay. Yeah, uh, I definitely kind of just fell into it, uh, tripped into it a little bit. I was going to school for psychology, and I was in the curriculum for about two and a half years at Lock Haven University in Central PA. And then I was doing an internship in an office in the middle of a building, and it snowed one day, and it was done by the time I went outside, and I didn't see any of it fall. And that was kind of a pivotal moment for me where I didn't want to work inside. I I had to find something else to do. So I just kind of did some work for about five or six years. And then I had a friend who happened to be a female that was going to Penn State to work on a golf course. And I had never even heard of such a thing. I didn't really grow up in a golf family. So I'd never heard of such a thing. So I decided to go work on a golf course for a summer down in Maryland and give it a try. And instantly I fell in love. I was doing setup right off of the bat. So I was out on the course all by myself first thing in the morning. I came back home. Ironically, I find out that Penn State was one of the top schools for it. And I was living just outside of Penn State. So uh, at 26 years old, I enrolled back in school. You ended up with a bachelor's degree in turf science. Took you, what, two and a half years to finish it? Two, two and a half years because you'd already had some academic credits at uh, Lock Haven, so that uh, expedited the process, right? Absolutely, and I know you can choose between um, the two-year program, the four-year program, and it it just made sense for me to enroll into the four-year bachelor's. I already had so many credits from Lock Haven that were going to transfer over that I was only going to have to put five semesters in to get my bachelor's, so that's what I went for. So how did your career path evolve from there after you had your degree? Well, while I was at Penn State, I um, I had to do an internship. So my second semester there, I did an internship at the Valentine Turf Research Facility. And once my that semester was up, Tom Wachke and the other supervisor that was there, Dave Livingston, they asked me to stay on full-time as the assistant supervisor. And they worked out my class schedule so I was able to maintain the curriculum that I was on, and work full-time while I was there. And from that point on, you got your first job in the industry, uh, where and how? Uh, From there, I ended up in Yardley, Pennsylvania, working at Mayfield Highlands Golf Club, and I was the assistant superintendent there. And I was there for about three years, 
And then from Makefield Highlands, I moved on to the Ridget Backbrook up in Ringo's, New Jersey. That's uh, more of a high-end private club. And again, I worked there for three years. It was a um, quite a learning experience. Uh, you go f- to working about 70 to 80 hours a week, but I learned a ton at that job. And then after three years there, then I came back down to New Hope, Pennsylvania, where I worked at Jericho National Golf Club, another private course. And I was there for about three years uh, until the superintendent's position at uh, Monmouth County Parks came up. And you have been here in Monmouth County for five years now, including what, three years here? Yep. I've been in Monmouth County Parks for five years. I started a co-superintendent over at Hominy Hills Golf Course, and I was there for two years. And then I got transferred, and I've been here um, as a superintendent at the South Course for three years now. We'll get into your experiences here in a bit, but I wanted to focus on your experiences at the United States Women's Open. You were one of 29 volunteers from outside the club who came in, and it is customary for, as many of our listeners know, for a superintendent to bring in outside volunteers when they're hosting a major event. But in this case, volunteers were female, recruited from around North America. How did you end up getting in the mix uh, for that? Well, a couple of years ago, I was down at a Women in Turf uh, Bayer event. So that is where I first um, had my my first experience meeting some other women in the turf industry. And of course, we stay connected uh, on social media sites. And uh, a few months ago, uh, word got out that Kimberly Gard from Syngenta was looking to put together um, a team of women uh, with, to go down and work with her and Troy Flanagan and um, be volunteers for the U.S. Open. So I, once I saw that, I kind of jumped on, said, where's, you know, sign me up. How can I get in? And that was really a very impressive list of people. If you look at some of the names on the list of 29, people that have had tremendous accomplishments in their career, unheralded in a lot of circumstances, which is how superintendents tend to like it, but they've done an awful lot and have really contributed to the growth of the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, you have some people. I mean, we had not only superintendents in there, but we had educators in there. Um, We had researchers in there. We had a lot of up-and-coming assistant superintendents. So it was definitely a a, a wide assortment of knowledge and experience. Take me through your week. What kind of responsibilities did you have in terms of setting up the golf course and taking care of the other things that uh, a crew is responsible for at the site of a major championship? As far as my my job responsibilities in the morning, I was designated with one of their um, employees to do front nine setup. So we would drop off the the T markers and then we double back around and work hand in hand with the um, PGA professionals to cut pins every day. So we would do the front nine and that would take care of the morning job for the first four hours. And what was your day like from there? So then after that, they fed us, of course. We had a delicious breakfast. And then uh, we would transition into some educational uh, things uh, in the later later morning, early afternoon, with some speakers coming in and some talks. And then we would have uh, a couple hours, maybe like two two-hour break that we could go watch golf or take a nap if we needed to. And then uh, we would transition into dinner and then evening jobs. And what was on your duty list for the evening hours? Evening, I got to jump around and do a couple of things. So a couple of days I did bunkers. We would hard pack the bunkers at night. We would water them down and then hard pack them. I cut sprinkler heads, valve boxes. I, I did divots and I also hand watered fairways. So a little bit of everything over the course of the week. 
A little bit of everything. That was the good part of the evenings. We could kind of jump around and, you know, into some different groups and do some different things. Yep. I know Troy Flanagan, who is in charge of the turf out there, was really focused on creating networking opportunities and educational opportunities for the volunteers. And what was it like to get together with other female turf professionals, of which there are not that many percentage-wise in the industry? There are more now than maybe a few years ago, but the percentage is still quite low, just to be able to share experiences and uh, pick each other's brains a little bit. Yeah, you're right. The uh, According to USGA, the percentage of women I superintendents, I believe, is 1.7, 1.6, something like that. So it's very, very low com- uh, in comparison to the, the male population. But, uh, you know, we all get there. Some of us have known each other just from the prior bear events. Some of us have known each other just by living in proximity. Uh, but mostly we didn't know each other, but we get in there and everybody's there for the same reason. And uh, it's it's like instant family. It's it's kind of crazy. And we, we just start talking about different different issues regarding the golf course, how we, you know, take care of different problems. You learn some crazy stories. You know, I'm used to uh, cold weather grasses here, uh, northeast climate, and talking to people out in Arizona and, and all that about some of the stuff they have to deal with. It's it's a different kind of learning. It's very interesting. But doing it in that hands-on fashion, particularly in a setting like that, at one of the finest golf facilities in the world, uh, that I would think would be inspiring, if nothing else. Oh, it's incredible. Not only do I get to throw all the paperwork out the window for the week, you know, and I get to just do what what I, you know, want to do. I get to get in there, get my hands dirty and do the actual work was amazing. But to do it um, to 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 that level is amazing. I mean, the fact that we're hard packing bunkers in the evening just to re-rake them in the morning and um, not only are we filling divots, but we're filling ball marks in fairways. You know, I, I don't know who does that, let alone, you know, sometimes we don't even get time to do our divots in our fairways. So definitely doing work um, shoulder to shoulder with other women in that element is super cool. Did you ever have a chance to, perhaps when you were out watching play in the afternoons, to reflect on what the finished product looked like, what the golf course looked like? Yeah, and it's kind of cool to uh, eavesdrop too, to eavesdrop and listen to some of the people standing next to you who don't know, you know, who you are, what you've been doing since 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) But uh it's definitely a different perspective. One of the funniest things is uh, during the afternoon, you're definitely not allowed inside the ropes. And in the morning, that's all we are is inside the ropes. But uh, no, it's nice to reflect on that kind of uh, conditioning of, of that style golf course. Thinking about how it all looked on television, it just looked fantastic. And there were all kinds of comments from the broadcast team with Golf Channel and NBC. And apparently the players were just delighted with with how the course looked and i've spoken with tour players who have mentioned how much they value what superintendents do that they have gone to the effort to make their golf course look like it is ready for a major championship whether it is a men's major championship or a women's major championship or is irrelevant as a major championship. And they really appreciate the effort that all of you put into getting the golf course ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, we would sit on um, the number 16 green, uh, all of us, and we'd be watching some golf as it was coming through. And 
you know, a lot of the players were stopping to thank us for the conditions and, and what, you know, what great conditions everything was in. There were so many of us and we had such, you know, getting everything ready when we were, we start to do um, ball marks in fairways or we start to pick up pine needles. You know, when you get to that sort of stuff, then you kind of know, all right, the the course is in pretty good condition if this is what we're doing. We're filling ball marks in the fairways and we're picking up pine needles. You know, that's that's a good sign. And I think, although the trend has shifted a little bit, the general public really doesn't have a total picture of what it takes to get a golf course to look like that. I think more people are becoming educated about that, but perhaps not as many as some would like. Yeah, no, I don't think the general public really has any clue. I think they pretty much think that we mow grass and water grass, and, and that's kind of it. Um, and that's a, you know, it's a standing joke with uh, some of my friends that that's all they do is turn sprinklers on. It does take a lot and it takes a lot of, um, just getting things organized. That's like the biggest, the biggest thing is getting everything organized and in place and, um, putting out fires as you go. That's a big thing too. What are the most vivid or lasting memories that you're going to take away from that women's open experience? Definitely just the friendships that I've made. You know, every time I ha we go to one of these events, it's more and more friendships. Uh, it's And it's people, you know, that I can stay in contact with, not just as friends, but, you know, I, I made contact with one girl. We're going to go and get, get certified together because she started that process. I looked into that process. It's all these lasting relationships down the road to, you know, try to bring women more in the forefront of this industry. Let's talk about what you're doing here at uh, Charleston Springs. It's a public facility. How big is your staff besides yourself? Currently, I have uh, four full-timers, which are year-round, and they've been here for a number of years, so they're very seasoned. And I have a full-time mechanic and full-time assistant, so very small. And then I have two seasonal guys that, that are on my crew. That's not a large staff. That said, how do you go about allocating your resources uh, in terms of manpower and prioritizing what absolutely has to get done versus what you would like to do? That's a good question. I do, you know, it is a very small crew, but they are small, but they are very mighty. They can get things done. These guys move mountains, um, and I really appreciate it. And we just, you know, we do our daily tasks, and as we can pick at other little things, you know, little projects, um, we do it. Last night we got two inches of rain, so we weren't really doing much in the way of mowing or anything like that today. So we started, you know, we picking up other little things. It's just, you know, you do what you can. You prioritize. It really is a matter of having a priority list and then being able to throw that whole list out the window, depending on, on what happens, right? Absolutely. I will have the best laid plans when I leave here at the end of the day and go home and, you know, either the wind picks up or the rain picks up or, or just my mind picks up. And then I come in and I, you know, I, I, throw my poor assistant for a loop because I just throw everything up in the air and juggle everything around and come up with a whole new plan on the fly. How many rounds a year do you do here? Uh, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. I don't, it's the numbers I don't really look at. All I know is since COVID, we have been ridiculously busy. Uh, I am surprised we had any grass left on the tees last year going into winter. It's been good for, you know, the park system. So I hope it continues and we're just trying to keep up with with the play and, you know, repairing any damage and we just try to keep up with it. But as far as an actual number, I don't have it for you. Lots would be the right answer. Lots. It, lots. Uh, I know it is extremely difficult to get out there in the afternoon and get anything done. Yeah. So we try to get the bulk of it. 
morning uh, ahead of golf and then you know we can in the afternoon it slows down dramatically in the afternoon with play <laughs> in terms of budget you're working at a public facility a municipally owned facility so how does that impact your budget situation is that something you just leave in the hands of those with a higher pay grade than you and then go on yourself and go from there Yep, I leave it in the hands of the guys with the higher pay grade. Uh, I mean, I do, you know, I, I do my budget. I kind of I stick with my budget as far as chemicals. It's done a year in advance. Um, we we do it uh, in, like, August, which is right around airification, which is great timing. But uh, we do it in August for the, for the next year um, because it has to go all through the upper powers that be <laughs> before it gets approved. So what's the best way to allocate your resources in that regard i mean you realize there are certain things that you have to do there are certain applications that you have to make so how do you set your application schedule up so you can take care of what needs to be done but you've got something in reserve in case you run into disease pressure or summer stress or whatever right uh i'm a big planner i um before I do my budget, I sit and I do a whole agronomic plan, which includes my entire spray schedule for everything, everything from, you know, bunker weeds to, you know, my um, my pythium sprays on greens and teas and, and stuff like that. I have it all planned out ahead of time We have because we have to do the budget and order everything ahead of time. So all winter long, I sit and I do that. <laughs> In terms of how the turf industry is evolving, are you finding it? more difficult union issues aside to recruit the staff that you need yeah i mean i think i think that's everywhere everywhere there's just a staff shortage you know i have signs out front we put stuff out on facebook we put stuff out in indeed and um i mean even even the kids you know the high school kids that we kind of depend on to to beat up a little over the summer and let them do some of the grunt work we're not even getting any of them just not even coming in the door i've heard that from other superintendents and i've heard it from people managing other businesses that's difficult to find staff is that just simply a matter of having to wait it out or just just deal with it i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's a, a more of a geographical issue uh depending on where you know where your pool is coming from i don't know if you know covid had a huge impact on it I don't know if it's just that kids are so inundated now with sports and extracurricular activities trying to get into colleges and whatnot that they just they don't have time for a job. I, I'm not sure. Have you seen the turf issue evolve over the course of your career, not just increasing opportunities for women, but just how it has evolved and how how it's changed over the course of your time in it? Uh, I mean, I definitely think as far as women go, I think we're making more of a, we're more visible, we're more of a presence, um, maybe a little less of the, the, you know, heads, you know, whipping around when they see us running around out on the golf course. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely more, more visible for sure, women in the industry. What's the most satisfying part of this job for you? I mean, it's a job that requires a lot of commitment, a lot of hours, and a lot of physical and emotional energy. That's probably the greatest uh, understatement that you've heard for a while. But what is it that fuels your passion that keeps you coming back day after day and year after year? 
I love the days that we get a ton done with just our, our very small crew, you know, super, super productive days. They'll keep me going. Um, the end product, I mean, take it right out there and it, it looks pretty, pretty darn good right now. So if you can keep that pretty darn looking good <laughs> throughout the whole season, then, you know, that keeps, keeps me happy. Jill, we thank you for spending a few minutes with us. We thank you and your fellow turf professionals, male and female, for all they do for the industry and also for educating the golfing public and people that work in the industry about what all of you do. Your contributions are immense, and we thank you. Absolutely. No problem. Jill Seymour joining me on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. My name is Rick Wolfel. We thank you for joining us and invite you to join us next time.